minute late. I do apologize. Try to forgive me. I'm sorry. Um, right, so let's get cracking. Before we get completely cracking, I'm not quite sure where this sentence is leading. I'm going to start again. Um, Damon asked a really good question yesterday. Uh, he uh, said, how do you approach the essay, which has been set as work for year nine, on crooks? And the question basically is, how does the situation of crooks link in with his, uh, with, with uh, the context of 1930s America? Well, funnily enough, today is going to be mostly about crooks, because this is the big bit with crooks in it. It's a very powerful bit. I will, however, Damon, say, uh, answer your question directly before we start reading. Um, right, so you, you, I know this sounds obvious, I know this sounds daft, but focus first on the actual question. Do not go away from the question. Do not, because this is a problem pupils often have, just suddenly start retelling the story. The examiners know the story. You don't, they don't need to hear it again. I know that sounds sarky, but it's true. Only directly answer the question. Don't uh, do anything other than that, yeah? So the question is all about... Are you are you hearing me? Can I just check? Are you hearing me? Because I've got this. Oh, hang on. Yes, you are. Right. I'll shut up. <laughs> um, so answer the question directly. And in this case, it's what does Crux's experience tell us about 1930s America? So you're going to be thinking about themes of racism, obviously, and isolation to a lesser extent, because Crux is isolated, but racism is the reason for that. Um, but then what you've got to do, and this is the key, is you have got to be finding examples from the text. So you're peeing constantly. See what I mean? So you make a point, then you give evidence, then you explain it. And I know most of your points, I suppose, are going to be revolving around the fact that he's racially discriminated against and that he's isolated. <clears throat> so you might say something like, we, we've, when we first see Crux, he only pops his head around the door of the bunkhouse. He doesn't come all the way in, and he speaks very respectfully, calling Slim Mr. Slim. So, okay, that's so big. That's my evidence, isn't it? My point, um, I've got this all wrong. Right, my point, Crux is not allowed to be with the other men on the ranch because of the colour of his skin. My evidence, when we first see Crux, he's only allowed to pop his head around the door of the bunkhouse. Uh, he's not allowed to come in, and he calls Slim Mr. Slim. And then my explanation, this shows that in 1930s California, uh, Crux, as a black man, is discriminated against. He is not treated equally with the other men. He is not allowed to be in the same room as them without in, an invitation. He is not. He speaks to Slim almost like he is his master. Um, yeah, do you see? And you keep peeing like that and bringing up more and more examples and loads will be in this that we do today, okay? Um, <laughs> Casey Skelton, Mr. Griffiths, it's Saturday. Grab a bacon bus. You watch old episodes of Soccer AM. Come back on Monday. No, no. I might not do tomorrow. I think maybe, you know, Sunday, maybe you've got other things to do on a Sunday morning, church school, you know, maybe I shouldn't be cutting across stuff. And my throat's a bit rough. Got a little tablet in there. I might be chewing on them a bit as the day goes on. There's a broadcast. Broadcast goes on. But oh, I'm doing this one. I'm doing this one, Katie. Thank you very much. I will switch my tally off, though, for some reason I've left it on. 
I've left it on freeze and it's going to burn the image into my screen. I'll always sunny in Philadelphia on it forever. And I'll get my jacket as well because I've opened the conservatory for my cat and I've made it cold in here. So Damon, I hope that's answered your question. Um, please throw in anything else. You know, I'll be happy to answer. Uh, I, I will say year nine and, and year 10, to be fair, make sure you've written enough in your your practice questions. An extract question, I would normally expect to be about a page. An essay, A4. An essay question, I'd be aiming for about twice that. Um, and that's a common issue that happens with um, students when they first start off trying to do uh, literature questions. They sort of underestimate how much they need to write and they, they write very short answers. You need to be giving lots of evidence. It's a test of your knowledge of the book. So keep hitting the examiner with evidence from the text, stuff that happens from the text that proves the point. Yeah? Okay, should we get cracking? <sighs> so it's about crooks today. Um, I need more than ever to apologize for racism today because this is all about crooks and, and everything about crooks is, is uh, him being cheated badly. And so there's racist language in this. There's horrible behavior in it. I'm just saying, okay? I apologize for that. So again, we start off with a scene setting. We describe Crooks's room, which is actually a lot nicer than the bunkhouse because he is isolated and on his own with his own little room. It's a shed. It's his work shed. But he actually is able, and because he's settled there, because here's a point Steinbeck's making. His job is skilled. All the other men, and well, most of them are not, apart from Slim, haven't got skilled jobs. They're just carrying heavy stuff. But this job is skilled, and he is pretty permanent crook, so he's able to keep his own stuff, partly because that and partly because he is rejected by the others, so he has his own room. And so it's, it's still basic, but it's better, actually, than, than the bunkhouse. Crooks, the Negro stable book, had his bunk in the harness room. A little sheds that leaned off the wall of the barn. On one side of the little room, there was a square four-paned window, and on the other, a narrow plank door leading into the barn. Crooks's bunk was a long box filled with straw on which his blankets were flung. On the wall by the window, there were pegs on which hung broken harness in process of being mended, strips for new leather, and under the window itself, a little bench for whatever working tools, curved knives and needles and balls of linen thread and a small hand riveter. On pegs were also pieces of a split collar with the horsehair stuffing sticking out, a broken hame, and a trace chain with its leather covering split. Crooks had his apple box over his bunk, and in it a range of medicine bottles, both for himself and for the horses. There were cans of saddle soap and a drippy can of tar with its paintbrush sticking over the side. And scattered about the floor were a number of personal possessions, for being alone... Crooks could leave his things about, and being a stable book and a cripple, he was more permanent than the other men. He accumulated more possessions than he could carry on his back. Crooks possessed several pairs of shoes, a pair of rubber boots, a big alarm clock, and a single-barreled shotgun. And he had books too, a tattered dictionary and a mauled copy of the California Civil Code for 1905. There were battered magazines and a few dirty books on a special shelf over the bunk. A pair of large gold-rimmed spectacles 
hung from a nail on the wall above his bed. The room was swept and fairly neat, but Crooks was a proud, aloof man. He kept his distance and demanded that other people kept theirs. His body was bent over to the left by his crooked spine, and his eyes lay deep in his head, and because of their depth, seemed to glitter with intensity. His lean face was lined with deep black wrinkles, and he had the pain, the thin pain-tightened lips which were lighter than his face. It was Saturday night. Through the open door that led into the barn came the sound of moving horses, of feet stirring, of teeth champing on hay, of the rattle of halter chains. In the stable buck's room, a small electric globe threw a meagre yellow light. Crook sat on his bunk. His shirt was out of his jeans at the back. In one hand, he held a bottle of liniments. With the other, he rubbed his spine. Now and then, he poured a few drops of the liniments into his pink-palmed hand and reached up under his shirt to rub again. He flexed his muscles against his back and shivered. So again, we see the irony that he is treated as low down in the farm. And yes, he is an educated man. He's got books. The others read these corny uh, sort of cowboy adventure books full of sex and violence. He's got law books, legal books there, although that's partly as well because he's intelligent and he knows his rights. So, you know, he's got the law there, maybe if he has to use it. Although, as we said, this is a lawless place, so how much use that would be, I don't know. And it's from 1905, so it's 30 years out of date anyway. Um, but he actually has a base he actually says has more things than he can carry on his back unlike the other men um he remember has a crooked back because a horse kicked him in the back and so he's disabled his back is crooked over to one side yeah okay liniments is like a sort of thing you drop in like deep heat or something like just to make it feel better don't have it now noiselessly lenny appeared in the open doorway and stood there, looking in, his big shoulders nearly filling the opening. For a moment, Crooks did not see him, but on raising his eyes, he stiffened and a scowl came on his face. His hands came out from under his shirt. Then he smiled helplessly in an attempt to make friends. Crooks said sharply, Got no right to come in my room. This, is, this here is my room. Nobody got, nobody got any right in here but me. Then he gulped and his smile grew more fawning. I ain't doing nothing, he said. Just come to look at my puppy, and I seen your lights, he explained. You can see the, 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 the sad in it, the, this juxtaposition, this contrast, great word juxtaposition, when you put two things opposite against each other. You've got Crooks, who's very defensive. He knows his rights. I'm not allowed in your place, but you're not allowed in mine either then. Yeah? So he, he will protect his own rights as far as he can, and he always expects people to be complaining or people to be assuming that, you know, he is beneath them. Lenny's the opposite. He's childlike. Children aren't born racist. Racism is a disgusting thing which develops in people because society pushes them that way. Thankfully, not everyone, but, but it's not natural. When you're a kid, you don't think what race is that person, what religion is that person. Uh, you know, what country does that person come from? Kids are just kids, and they see other kids and just think they're other kids. And Lenny is still like that. Crook, Lenny has not a thought in his head, does he, about race? Or an understanding of why he can't go in Crooks' room or 
Crooks can't go into his room. He's just natural. So, you know, Crooks might take a little time to understand that. So he said he saw his light. So Crooks is immediately defensive. Well, I got a right to have a light. You go on, get out of my room. I ain't wanted in the bunkhouse and you ain't wanted in my room. Why, why ain't you wanted, Lenny asked. Because I'm black. They play cards in there, but I can't play because I'm black. They say I stink. Well, I tell you, you all of you stink to me. Lenny flapped his big hands helplessly. Everybody went into town, he said. Slim and George and everybody. George says I got to stay here and not get in no trouble. I, I, I seen your light. Well, what do you want? Nothing. I, I seen your light. I, I thought I could just come in and set. Crook stared at Lenny and he reached behind him and took down the spectacles and adjusted them over his pink eyes and stared again. I don't know what you're doing in the barn anyway, he complained. You ain't no Skinner. There's no call for a bucker to come in the barn or all. You ain't no Skinner. You ain't got nothing to do with the horses. The pup, Lenny repeated. I come to see my pup. Well, go see your pup then. Don't come in a place where you're not wanted. Lenny lost his smile. He advanced a step into the room, then remembered and back to the door again. I, I, I looked at him a little. Slim says I ain't a petting very much. Crook said, well, you've been taking him out of the nest all the time. I wonder the old lady don't move him someplace else. Oh, oh, she don't care. She, she lets me. Lenny had moved into the room again. He can't remember to stay out of the room, can he? Crook scowled, but Lenny's disarming smile defeats him, yeah? Disarming when you're, you're harmless and nice and you, you sort of diffuse people's anger. Come on in and sit a while, Crook said. Long as you won't get out and leave me alone, you might as well sit down. His voice was a little more friendly. All the boys going into town, huh? All but old Candy. He just sits in the bunkhouse sharpening his pencil and, and sharpening and figuring. Crooks adjusted his glasses. Figuring? What's Candy figuring about? Lenny almost shouted. About the rabbits! Oh yeah, don't tell anybody. Remember George said, don't tell anybody. <laughs> you nuts, said Crooks. You're crazy as a wedge. What rabbits you talking about? The rabbits we're going to get, and I get to tend them, cut grass and give them water, and, and like that. Just nuts, said Crooks. I don't blame the guy you travel with for keeping you out of sight. Lenny said quietly, it ain't no lie. We're going to do it. Going to get a little place and live on the fat of the land. Crooks settled himself more comfortably on his bunk. Sit down, he invited. Sit down on a nail keg. Lenny hunched down on the little barrel. You, you think it's a lie, Lenny said, but it ain't no lie. Every word's a truth, and you can ask George. Brooks put his dark chin into his pink, pink palm. You travel around with George, don't you? Sure, me and him goes every place together. Brooks continues. Sometimes he talks, and you don't know what the hell he's talking about. Ain't that so? He leaned forwards, boring Lenny with his deep eyes. Ain't that so? Yeah, sometimes. Just talks on and you don't know what the hell it's all about. Yeah, sometimes, but not always. Crooks is lonely. Can you imagine what it's like? Wow, God, God, I suppose now more than ever, maybe we can imagine what it's like. You're stuck in your house. You can't talk to many other people on social media. Phones allow us you know, to communicate with people, but 
Crooks is genuinely stuck in his shed with no one to communicate with. He can have work conversations with the other people, although he must always be below them. He never gets to have a talk. If he's worried about something, upset about something, excited about something, just wants to share something, he can't. He has no relationship with anybody like that. Um, so did you see what he just did then? He's sussing her out because he's intelligent. I mean, ironically, Crooks is possibly the most intelligent person in the book, but is very much the bottom in terms of social standing um, because of racism. He susses Lenny out. He thinks, hang on, I'd love to be able to talk to somebody and actually get my feelings out and explain myself. I've not done that for years. And if Lenny doesn't understand the stuff George says, I can just talk at him. Just, you know what I mean? It just feels good sometimes to get things off your chest. He just can't do that. Now he can. Now, Lenny's right there. Lenny's not going to go and tell if he says something he shouldn't. Lenny's not going to understand it. He's not going to remember it. So Crooks can actually talk and talk and talk for the first time in years. And he's worked that out rather intelligently, hasn't he? So now he just starts talking. And we learn about his background. Crooks leaned forward over the edge of the bunk. I ain't a southern negro, he said. I was born right here in California. My old man had a chicken ranch, about 10 acres. The white kids come to play at our place, and sometimes I went to play with them. And some of them was pretty nice. My old man didn't like that. I never knew till long after why he didn't like that. But I know now. He hesitated, and when he spoke again, his voice was softer. Wasn't another colored family for miles around. Now there ain't a colored man on this ranch, and there's just one family and so dad. He laughed. If I say something, why, it's just a nigger saying it. Then he asked, how, how long do you think it'll be before them pups will be old enough to pet? Crooks laughed again. Guy can talk to you and be sure you won't go blabbing. A couple of weeks and them pups will be all right. George knows what he's about. Just talks and you don't understand nothing. He leaned forward excitedly. This is just a nigger talking and a busted back nigger, so it don't mean nothing, see? You, you couldn't remember it anyways. I've seen it over and over and over. A guy talking to another guy, and it don't make no difference if he don't hear or understand. The thing is, they're talking, or they're sitting still not talking. It don't make no difference. No difference. His excitement had increased until he pounded his knee with his hands. George can tell you screwy things, and it don't matter. It's just the talking. It's just being with another guy. That's all. He paused. See that? Yeah. He's excited. He's working this out. Just being with someone. It doesn't matter if the other person's not listening to you or doesn't understand it. It's just you can talk. It's just being with another guy. That's all. Yeah. That's the key thing in this book, isn't it? Steinbeck saying, without friendship, you get mean. Friendship and other people keep you decent, keep you nice, keep you good. Stop you from being selfish because you think of others. Now, yeah, being on your own keeps you mean. That's a look at this bit. This bit's uh, quite shocking. And it's here for a couple of reasons. One of which, as I said in an earlier session, Steinbeck appreciates and wants us to appreciate. People are complex. They're not just all good, all bad. Crooks, you know, is a very likable character. It's horrible how he's treated. But he's constantly kept down, isn't he? He's constantly treated below everyone else. So, 
he's gonna he's gonna take advantage of it now. And he's actually gonna be cruel to Lenny because for once in his life he's the man who's on top, if you see what I mean. Yeah. His voice grew soft and persuasive. Suppose George don't come back no more. Suppose he took a powder and just ain't coming back. While you do then. Lenny's attention came gradually to what had been said. What? he demanded. I said, suppose George went into town tonight and you never heard of him no more. Crooks passed forward some kind of private victory. Just suppose that, he repeated. He, he won't do it, Lenny cried. George wouldn't do nothing like that. I've been with George a long time. He'll come back tonight. But the doubt was too much for him. Don't you think he will? Crook's face lighted the pleasure in his torture. Nobody can tell what a guy'll do, he observed calmly. Rest say he wants to come back and can't. Suppose he gets killed or hurt so he can't come back. And he struggled to understand. George, George won't do nothing like that, he repeated. George is careful. He don't get hurt. He ain't never been hurt because he's, he's careful. Well, suppose, just suppose he don't come back. What do you do then? And then his face wrinkled of apprehension. I, I don't know. S say what you doing anyways, he cried. This ain't true. George ain't got hurt. Crooks bored in on him. Want me to tell you what'll happen? They'll take you to the booby hatch. They'll tie up like the collar like a dog. Suddenly, Lenny's eyes centered and grew quiet and mad. He stood up and walked dangerously towards Crooks. Who hurt George? He demanded. Crooks saw the danger as it approached him. He edged back on his bunk to get out of the way. I was just supposing, he said. George ain't hurt. He's all right. He'll be back all right. Then he stood over him. What you supposing for? Ain't nobody going to suppose no hurt to George. Crooks removed his glasses and wiped his eyes with his fingers. Just, just stay down, he said. George ain't hurt. Then he growled back to his seat on the nail keg. Ain't, ain't nobody going to talk no hurt to George, he grumbled. Also just reminding us, remember Lenny... Grabs hold of that girl in weed, just reminding us that although he's lovely, he's out of, he's, he's, oh, I don't want to say out of control, I think that's unfair. He is dangerous because he's so massive, and that, that was a dangerous moment for Crooks then. Crooks says the wrong thing to him. Lenny thinks somehow that Crooks is linked to George being hurt and takes him seriously. And Crooks has to sort of calm him down pretty quickly because Lenny's getting angry. Lenny's huge and powerful and strong, doesn't know his own strength. We've seen that with the girl weed, we've seen it with Curly's hand. Um, Lenny has danger about him as well, doesn't he? And Crooks has to calm him down. Why did he do that? Well, this next paragraph will talk to you through it. Crooks said gently, Maybe you can see now. You got George. You know he's gonna come back. Suppose you didn't have nobody. Suppose you couldn't go in a bunkhouse and play rummy because you was black. How'd you like that? Suppose you had to sit out here and read books. Sure, you could play horseshoes till it got dark, but then you gotta read books. Books ain't no good. A guy needs somebody to be near him, he whined. A guy goes nuts if he ain't got nobody. Don't make no difference who the guy is, as long as he's with you. 
I tell you, he cried, I tell you, a guy gets too lonely and he gets sick. George, George going to come back, Lenny reassured himself in a frightened voice. Maybe George come back already. Maybe I better go see, Crook said. I, I didn't mean to scare you. He'll come back. I was talking about myself. Do you see the point here? Yeah. He, he drove home his advantage because for once he could be the guy on top after a life of being bullied. Um, but also, like he says, you know, you're lucky you are. You've got George. I've got no one. I, I'm allowed to play horseshoes with the guys till it gets dark and I got a stick in the sheds and, oh, horrible, read books. <laughs> Who deserves that? Um, so quotable, this bit. I tell you, a guy gets too lonely and he gets sick. Yeah, and this is all about this loneliness theme, isolation. It's all about this idea of people getting mean uh, if, they're, if they're on their own, needing company, yeah? And then he reassures him, you know, I didn't mean to scare you. He'll come back. I was talking about myself. And then this bit is pretty classic stuff in terms of isolation, too. Guy sits alone out here at night, maybe reading books or thinking or stuff like that. Sometimes he gets thinking he got nothing to tell him what's so and what ain't so. Maybe if he sees something, he ain't, don't know whether it's right or not. He can't turn to some other guy and ask him if he sees it, too. He can't tell. You got nothing to measure by. I seen things out here. I wasn't drunk. I'd know if I was asleep. Some, if some guy was with me, he could tell me I was asleep. Then it'd be all right. But I just don't know. Crooks was looking across the room now, looking towards the window. It creeps me out that bit slightly. I see things out there, and I don't know if they're real. If someone was with me, they could tell me. Oh my God! What, what, what does he see out there exactly? Oh, that sort of slightly creeps me out. And he said miserably, George won't go away and leave me. I, I know George won't do that. The stable book went on dreamily. I remember when I was a little kid on my old man's chicken ranch. I had two brothers. He was always near me, always there. He used to sleep right in the same room, right in the same bed, all three. I had a strawberry patch, had an alfalfa patch. He used to turn the chickens out in the alfalfa on a Sunday morning. My brother would sit on the fence rail and watch them. White chickens there was. Gradually, Lenny's interest came round to what was being said. George says we're going to have alfalfa for the rabbits. What rabbits? We're going to have rabbits in a berry patch. <laughs> you nuts. We are too. You ask George. You nuts. Crooks was scornful. I see hundreds of men come, up, come by on the road and on the ranches with the bindles on their back and that same damn thing in their heads. That hundreds of them. They come and they quit and go on, and every damn one of them's got a little piece of land in his head, and never a goddamn one of them ever gets it. Just like heaven. Everybody wants a little piece of land. I read plenty of books out here. Nobody never gets to heaven, and nobody never gets no land. It's just in their head. They're all the time talking about it, but it's just in their head. He paused and looked towards the open door, for the horses were moving restlessly, and the halter chains clinked. A horse whinnied. Yes, yeah, somebody's out there, Crook said. Maybe Slim. Slim comes in maybe two, three times a night. Slim's a real skinner. He looks out for his team. He pulled himself painfully upright and moved towards the door. It's you, Slim, he called. Candy's voice answered. Slim went in town. Say, you seen Lanny? You mean the big guy? Yeah, seen him around any place? He's in here, Crook said shortly. He went back to his bunk and lay down. 
Candy stood in the doorway, scratching his bald wrist and looking blindly into the lighted room. He made no attempt to enter. Tell you what, laddie, I've been figuring out about them rabbits, Crook said irritably. You can come in if you want. Candy seemed embarrassed. Well, I don't know. Of course, if, if you want me to. Come on in. If everybody's coming in, you might just as well. I love this bit now. It was difficult for Crooks to conceal his pleasure with anger. He's so chuffed. People are coming into his room. But he's got to keep up that appearance of, you're not allowed in my room, I'm not allowed in yours. So, oh, he has to hide this. You'll go, right, then come in. Acting like he's annoyed about it. And really, he's like, yes, people are coming into my room. Candy came in, but he was still embarrassed. You've got a nice, cosy little place in here, he said to Crooks. Must be nice to have a room all to yourself this way. Sure, said Crooks, and a manure pile under the window. Sure, it's swell. Then he broke in. You said about them rabbits. Obviously, Candy now. They know Georgia said don't talk about anything. Candy now knows. He's got to say, don't talk about this. Candy leaned against the wall beside the broken collar while he scratched the wrist stump. Been here a long time, he said. Crooks been here a long time. It's the first time I've ever been in this room. Crooks said darkly. Guys don't come in a cold room, man's room very much. Nobody been here but Slim, Slim and the boss. Candy quickly changed the subject. Slim's as good a skinner as I ever seen. Lenny leaned towards the old swamp. About them rabbits, he insisted. Candy smiled. I'll go and figure it out. We can make some money on them rabbits if you go about it, right? Candy's talking about them now. What a twist. Oh, man. Um, when I thought I might have dropped out, there was a key speech, and I'll go back to have a look at the crooks talking about everybody dreams of land. That's such a big point with the context. Yeah? But it's just like heaven. Nobody ever gets to heaven, and nobody ever gets their land. Yeah? Every um, Hundreds of men come past. They come and they quit and they go on, and every damn one of them has got a little piece of land in his head, and never a goddamn one of them ever gets it. Yeah? These are really quotable bits about how... People are motivated by a dream. They want to get out of the depression. They want to get out of this awful life they're living and make something better for themselves. They all dream of this, but they never do. It's unachievable. I better stop, aren't I?